Body, Mind, Spirit Radio, your life connection to the information for a healthy body, an enlightened mind, and a renewed spirit. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to We Get Results. It is Tuesday, April 28th, 2020, and I am your host, Mary Singer Albertson. If you haven't joined me before, We Get Results is aired on the fourth Tuesday of the month at 1 p.m. Eastern and also archived for later listening. The purpose of We Get Results is to discuss challenges that we're facing in the U.S. and globally and to connect listeners to ways that they can make a difference. Everyone can get results if they know what to do and want to make changes for the betterment of those who have no voice. Find something that is your passion, and you can work with results organization or whatever organization you know you decide to do more than just signing petitions online. At this point, we need so much more than that. So I appreciate you joining me. One of the best ways I've found for one person to make a difference is taking action through the results organization. Results is volunteer citizens lobby meeting with the U.S. Congress to create the political will to end hunger and poverty. Check out www.results.org and click on the successes page to see what's been accomplished by volunteers in the past 40 or so years. Um, So today the focus is uh, on housing affordable housing. It's on how to keep America uh, housed during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Uh, We have an affordable housing crisis in the U.S., which existed before COVID-19. We did more quality afford, we need more quality affordable housing in America. And I'm joined today by two results staff members to find out what the challenges are, and what can be done to assist the people who are experiencing financial difficulty. Um, You know, what we do need from Congress, we need to know what we do need from Congress to keep Americans stable and healthy. And we know that housing stability, stability is key. So my two guests today, I'm going to introduce the first one, which is who is Meredith Dotson, and I've known Meredith for a long time, and she's been a great help to our our results grassroots uh, volunteers, and whenever we need her, she's the expert. And she serves as director of Results U.S. Poverty Campaign Work, overseeing results legislative and coalition work on budget and tax policy, anti-hunger programs, and other U.S. anti-poverty initiatives. She also works directly with Results Grassroots Network, training and supporting results volunteers all over the country to build relationships with members of Congress, their staff, general local, generate local media, and network with local community groups and other allies to build the organization. She's been on staff with Results since 1998, and she lives in Washington, D.C. Um, with her husband, and son and daughter. So, Meredith, uh, checking in here. Thank you for having me. Hi, Meredith. Are yeah. You there? Hi. Yeah, okay. thanks for having me back on. Oh, that's okay. You are 
you are the expert on this, and um, we always can get such good information from you and such updated information for you to help us and help us go and and, uh, meet with members of Congress on things that are so important to uh, people who need a hand up. So thanks for coming on. Um, I am going to go ahead and introduce my other guest, which is who is Alexa, and um, I will tell her. I will tell you about her right now. Uh, Alexa Angelo is a Bill Emerson National Hunger Fellow through the Congressional Hunger Center, a year-long leadership program working on navigating policies surrounding low-income renters, and. Um, I'm going to see here if I have, are you there, Alexa? Hi, good morning, yep. Good. Well, thank you for joining me. Thank you both for joining me today. Um, I uh, There's so much going on right now with uh, funding packages in Congress, and I'm happy to have you both uh, join me to give us more information and find out what we might be able to do to help. So, um I have some questions here for you, and anything else you feel is important that you want to talk about, that's great. So, Alexa, why don't I start with you, and you can tell us a little bit more about the Congressional Hunger Center and your fellowship. I don't know anything about that myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm happy to. The, so I'm a Bill Emerson National Hunger Fellow um, through the Congressional Hunger Center, And my fellowship is a year-long fellowship aimed at creating the next leaders in the movement to end hunger and poverty in the United States. Um, So my cohort consists of 22 lovely fellows um, who I'm very close with. They're all wonderful. And um, for the first six months of the fellowship, the 22 of us were all sent across the country to work at community-based organizations um, and get on-the-ground field work. So more grassroots work um, for the first six months. And then for the last six months, we came back to D.C. for policy placement. Um, and when I was, for my uh, field placement, I was in Cincinnati, Ohio, at the Cincinnati Food Policy Council, where my cohort partner, Caroline, and I worked to bring healthcare institutions and organizations together to fight hunger in Cincinnati. Well, that's great. And um, how many years have you been doing this kind of work? Um, I So I studied dietetics in undergrad, um, and I did some local um, anti-hunger work throughout undergraduate uh, at Miami of Ohio. And then I was a nutritionist for a few years and then found my way back okay. into um, – the policy world last year where I was an AmeriCorps Food Corps service member. Um, And I really, in D.C. So I saw um, the impact that policies were having on my students um, in D.C., and I really wanted Mm -hmm. to dive into that more. Well, that's great. We are lucky to have you at Results, and we are happy that you're there. And I think probably what else I want to start off with is why is access to affordable and stable housing a health issue, especially during a pandemic like we're going through right now? Yeah, um, so housing during this pandemic is essential 
to ensure the stop of the spread of the disease. Um, and there are obvious challenges for people experiencing homelessness because of their inability to social distance. Um, mm-hmm. Also, low-income renters in inner cities with concentrated levels of poverty often live in multifamily homes, which lowers their ability to social distance. And these urban areas have a history of structural racism. Um, one health-related example is the high levels of air pollution in dense mm-hmm. urban areas, which attributes to the increased rates of respiratory diseases, such as asthma, in these populations, um, which is especially a big deal right now, considering COVID-19 affects the respiratory system. Um, and low-income renters are often employed by hourly rate jobs that don't come with health care. So even if they do mm-hmm. contract the virus, they're less likely inclined to seek medical intervention. Um, mm-hmm. So we know oh. that 26.4... Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Um, yeah, we know 26.4 million unemployment claims have been filed over the last five weeks. Um, causing major disruptions in income to families everywhere all over the country, um, which is affecting people's ability to pay rent as well as utilities. So if you think about it, how can you wash your hands uh, without water? So keeping these families stably housed during and after the pandemic is crucial to stop the spread of the disease um, and is just necessary for the health of everyone. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, Everything has just gotten so crucial right now. And, you know, the emergency uh, we've had with affordable housing, there was like, uh, at least at one point, was only 25% of the people who could qualify for affordable housing could find affordable housing. So, and you know, we're talking that type of thing, and Results has been talking about it way before the pandemic. So now the emergency has just become a really horrific emergency. Um, and I think, um, yeah. Meredith, I wanted to just pull you in a little bit and um, see what you feel some of the specific policies that could help the low-income renters stay stably housed during this crisis and beyond. Yeah, thanks for asking that, Mary, because obviously that's critical both in the short term and the long term. So, um obviously we know that providers that are directly working um, with people experiencing homelessness will need additional resources um, to keep folks safe and um, Mm -hmm. reduce um, uh, the odds that the virus will spread further. Um, So uh, it is estimated that those providers will need at least $11.5 billion in additional resources um, uh, in the short term. But our focus Mm -hmm. has been around preventing um, additional folks from experiencing homelessness. Um, So that means we need to keep low-income renters stably housed. And I I think it's important for us to keep reminding ourselves that uh, people of color are more likely to be renters and are more likely to be cost-burdened. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of spending a higher, even before this pandemic and the economic crisis, spending a higher um, percentage of their income on rent. Um, so our colleagues at the National Low-Income Housing Coalition have estimated that it will co- uh, basically cost about $100 billion to keep 
low-income renter stably housed over the medium term, so not just during the public health crisis, but longer. So that that's the, the ask that we've been bringing to our mm-hmm. policymakers, that results volunteers like yourself have been making the case uh, directly to their members of Congress via virtual lobby meetings um, and amplifying that push in local media. And that those mm-hmm. funds would be available so that if renters are unable to make rent, you know, Alexa mentioned the huge number of folks experiencing, uh, filing for unemployment or losing mm-hmm. either their jobs completely or um, uh, having their hours and their income cut way back. Um, this, these, that $100 billion in emergency rental assistance would go to state and local uh, organizations to help families who cannot make rent. And I think it's important to also um, reiterate that this is, it, you know, we need a moratorium on evictions, a national uniform mm-hmm. moratorium on evictions, but then mm-hmm. we don't want to have a situation where low-income renters um, have a bunch of back rent due and we have kind of a cliff where a whole bunch of additional folks lose access to housing. So that's yeah, our right. housing push is around $100 billion um, in emergency rental assistance and a national uniform moratorium on evictions. And folks can mm-hmm. um, read more about that, take action, um, right at results.org. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was, even, I was on a call last week that was a national call on uh, COVID-19 and and especially about renters assistance and it was with Senator Sherrod Brown who also mentioned a hundred billion dollars to keep low-income renters or whoever to um, keep their homes and not be thrown out on the streets and so he also had mentioned a hundred billion dollars and so we're gonna have to see what happens you know there's a new package almost every time and I saw that um, uh, the letter that I got in the last couple of days has said that they thought that um, SNAP may be able to be uh, increased, which uh, they said in the last one was impossible. They couldn't get the um, people that were conservative to vote any uh, increase in SNAP. Um, and I think... Um, and, and Mary, can I jump in for a second? Yeah. Um, yeah before we talk, before we talk about SNAP and kind of the food assistance programs that are also really yeah. critical, since you mentioned Senator Sherrod Brown, I just want to note that he is actually going to be the guest speaker, one of the guest speakers oh, right. on Results Next National Webinar this coming Saturday, which is um, uh, May second at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Senator Brown, who is a leader in this push around emergency rental assistance, um, he is going to be mm-hmm. speaking to results advocates across the country. And folks who are listening to this who are interested in getting involved with results or finding out more about that webinar, um, again, you can find details at results.org. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and who is the other uh, person that's coming on to? Uh, do you I remember believe for it the, is um, um, Peter Sands, I believe, I, uh, but I can confirm that while we're on the on the what, on the show right now. What was his title? Um, what was his title? The, the, so, for folks who are listening, um, results focuses on both U.S. and international oh, right. um, uh, 
issues relating to poverty, hunger, health, et cetera. So our national webinar combines folks um, across the United States, hundreds of people um, uh, who, uh, some of whom are more primarily focused on U.S. poverty issues, some are primarily more focused on global poverty issues, and many are mm-hmm. also focused on both. So um, Senator Sherrod Brown will be joining the first portion of our national webinar um, this coming Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. And then Peter Sands, who is the executive director of the Global Fund to Fight AIDS, TB, and Malaria, will be joining Mm -hmm. uh, the later part of that national webinar. So he will join us at two times on uh, this coming uh, Saturday, May 2nd. and if anyone's mm-hmm. listening to this show uh, later, you can't make um, the webinar live or uh, you don't happen to listen to this until after the webinar, there, is, there will be a recording on our website um, as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks, Bob, for that. Um, now, Alexa, what? let me ask you, uh, we know kind of about this already, but how has the uh, pandemic uh, and our affordable housing crisis impacted different populations across the U.S. Um, yeah, so Black, Latino, Native populations, and immigrant communities, um, and particularly women of color, are disproportionately suffering and dying from the coronavirus. Um, and I have a few examples. So. Um, in Chicago, 70% of COVID-19 related deaths have been of black residents when the city is only comprised of 23% black residents. Um, Michigan, 41% of COVID-19 related deaths have been black residents when the state is um, 14% comprised of black residents and Milwaukee has 81% of COVID-19 related deaths have been of black residents when the city is only Mm -hmm. comprised of 26% black residents. Um, So just these numbers alone are staggering and show how much the pandemic has exacerbated existing race and gender disparities, leaving marginalized people of color less able to safely shelter in place. Um, Mm -hmm. And people of color work in industries that are on the front line front lines of response to the coronavirus. So grocery store clerks, nurses, cleaners, warehouse workers, bus drivers, um, black and brown workers are just overrepresented in these occupations, um, which is putting them at increased risk of COVID-19 exposure. Um, Also, the virus, as we've seen, quickly spreading through uh, U.S. correctional facilities. which are overcrowded, they're ill-equipped to face the pandemic due to the lack of toiletries, hygiene products, inconsistent access to water and plumbing, um, mm-hmm. and undocumented workers are losing their jobs and have virtually no, ac- no access to basic resources such as Medicaid. So those mm-hmm. are just some examples of yeah, population. Yeah, there's a lot. So... Um, what policies have been implemented to help the low-income renters during the pandemic, and what kind of gaps have you seen in the policies right now that we need to work on? Yeah. Um, so President Trump did announce a suspension in foreclosures and evictions for Federal Housing Administration insured mortgages for single-family properties. Um, in addition to the funding provided for housing and homelessness in the CARES Act, which was passed in March, um, 
But although many homeowners are protected from foreclosure, most low-income renters are not. And, in fact, the CARE Act only covered about one in four renters. Um, Mm. So while the $12 billion in additional funding for homelessness and low-income renters is important, uh, it's definitely not enough to deal with the immediate needs homeless people are currently facing or to provide emergency rental assistance. Um, to keep all these low-income renters in their homes. Um, mm-hmm. So we've seen policymakers looking at emergency rental assistance that would establish um, a federal emergency housing grant program, and that would provide aid to people experiencing housing insecurity in order to prevent homelessness um, combined with a national moratorium on evictions to help renters and homeowners mm-hmm. stay housed. Um And then, in addition, millions of families face weeks or months where they cannot afford rent due to lost wages um, and will not be able to come up with past rent due when an eviction or a moratorium comes. Um, So we really need both uh, emergency rental assistance combined with a nationwide moratorium on evictions to help prevent millions of Americans from losing their homes after this crisis. Uh, when they can't pay back their month of rent, they were suspended um, while insuring families don't get evicted um, as they struggle to see mm-hmm. emergency rental assistance. Yeah. Um, I don't think we mentioned this before, and I know when we've gone to have meetings with Congress, one of the some of the statistics we've brought up is that uh, wages are only up 5% and rent has gone up 60%. And I can't remember in how many years that is, Meredith, but uh, um, do you remember what that was, how wages are only up 5% since, what, the last 30 or 40 years or something? Yeah, it's it's since 1960. Um, so, oh. obviously, you know, we've had a situation over the long term where housing, um, housing prices have um, continued to go up much faster than income for millions and millions of um, American families. Um, And I think that really helps understand it's not, you know, this is something that's been happening over the long term while the the kind of supply of housing that's affordable for low-income families hasn't been keeping up. And so you had this Mm -hmm. underlying affordable housing crisis, and then on top of that, you have this pandemic and the public health needs of the pandemic. So I, I certainly, we ha- kind of have a double whammy right now. And yeah. um, and again, the the impact is, is not being, is disproportionately felt by low-income renters and in, in communities of color. Mm-hmm. Um. Also, I'm thinking, um, what do you think some of the specific policies that could help them stay in their uh, homes? Besides, is there anything else besides the um, uh, the billion dollars for for low income renters and uh, the eviction part? Anything else that you can think of that um, could help them stay housed in this crisis? I suppose we could, uh, you know, include SNAP in that food stamps, and maybe you can talk a little bit more about about that because uh, I guess there's just huge long lines of people for any kind of free food assistance. I've seen whole parking lots waiting and, um, you know, we've had, uh, you know, the the um, 
policies that have come in that what this last one was, I think was the number three, was it? And now we're waiting for the fourth, um, the fourth policy from Congress on what we can do. Is that correct? Are they almost ready to do four or? Yeah, obviously it's, it's hard to keep track of what Congress, you know, these different pieces of legislation. Um, So as we talk in late April, Congress has passed really in some ways already kind of four different policy packages. The first couple had to do more with public health, included some paid leave provisions. Um, I do think that's important because you obviously you need, you know, there were millions of workers who didn't have access Mm -hmm. to paid leave. You have millions of folks who um, need to take leave because their children are not, uh, uh, childcare settings are closed, schools are closed, et cetera. Um, the big, there was a big package that, um, as Alexa mentioned, included $12 billion in um, housing resources, mostly focused on um, uh, people in existing federal housing assistance programs and, and providers working with people experiencing homelessness. Um, that was in a larger package called the CARES Act. Um, that package mm-hmm. also did include a, a, the cash stimulus payments, um, so the kind of emergency cash payments um, that uh, went out to people, some people automatically, though there's, some, there's certainly more work to do there. Um, and also included expansion of, around um, emergency unemployment insurance provisions. Um, so mm-hmm. that was a big package that passed a couple weeks ago. Then just last week, Congress um, uh, moved and the president signed into law kind of an addition to that to provide more small business resources along with uh, funding for hospitals and testing. Um, and then um, – there are already negotiations happening, and clearly there is a need for to continue some of those in pieces that have been passed already um, that are uh, working, but more need to be done um, in terms of um, dealing with the crisis. But there's also the need, you know, thing, policy pieces that were left out of that package, and um, mm-hmm. We're going to need additional policies to um, address what is a longer-term economic crisis. I think I don't know if it's official, but you know we are clearly in a situation where we are in a longer-term economic downturn. The Congressional Budget Office just reiterated that at the end of last week, where you don't expect jobs and unemployment to the situation to change anytime soon. Mm-hmm. So one of the important pieces that has been left out and results volunteers and many others are working hard to address is food assistance. So you mentioned SNAP, um, formerly known as food stamps. It's our primary defense against hunger. Um, and uh, we know that a boost in the maximum benefits for SNAP, so a kind of 15% increase in food assistance, would really help families who are struggling right now to put food on the table. Um, and we've seen those lines. Number? Of folks, uh, it's a 15% increase in SNAP okay. benefits. Um, also, we need to increase the maximum benefits. Um, it would be great to continue to see 
um, measures that allow folks who participate in SNAP to make online purchasing. Um, we'd love to see, you know, the ability to use um, SNAP benefits as needed for hot meals and hot meal delivery. Mm-hmm. So there's some, some important pieces there, but we, you know, the kind of top line thing that Results is focused on is a 15% increase, a boost in the actual mm-hmm. SNAP benefits. Um, so a couple does it look weeks like ago, over seven, it... 700 organizations sent a letter to um, uh, Congress, including 53 um, results chapters, results in the other national anti-hunger organizations um, kind of spearheaded on this effort, um, kind of making the, poise to, po- the case to congressional leaders that we need to boost SNAP benefits. Um, uh, so um, we, and that's been something, again, as uh, results volunteers have been meeting with uh, policymakers and their staff kind of virtually still doing amazing advocacy work. Um, and that, uh, that's another piece that a number of our folks have been lifting up as a, an important priority. So I suspect mm-hmm. if we're thinking about when does all this happen, why is it important to raise our voices now, I think Congress is officially not coming back until at least uh, next week, and I suspect that will get pushed back further. You know, we here in Washington, D.C. are still very much in the midst of um, – uh, we have uh, stay-at-home orders, and um, we're in the midst of this public health crisis. So, but I suspect later this spring, congressional leaders have acknowledged that there's some really important needs that have um, that uh, we need to look towards, um, and that's mm-hmm. where we have the opportunity to push again for 100 billion dollars in emergency rental assistance, to push for a national moratorium on evictions, and this important 15% boost in SNAP benefits. So um, this is a great time for people to be making their voices heard. Congress is still listening, even if they're not working from their typical offices. Mm-hmm. And, um, I urge folks to, to be in action on this. Yeah, we um, have been in a couple of uh, town hall uh, calls that our congressperson has been doing, and I think if people think, oh, you know, they're at home now, but they really have, they have less meetings to go to, and um, I'm working on a meeting right now with my congressperson that they're supposed to get back to me on when would be a good time to talk with her, and I also got to talk with Senator Gary Peters, who called me about uh, uh, what, what's been happening, and um, I think, you know, the best thing, too, is just to go on their website or their Facebook page or call their Uh, district office and find out where they're going to be and somewhere that you could go see them or ask to have a meeting with them and uh, your results group or whoever you're, whoever you're working with. Um, And can you think of anything else, Meredith, as far as what uh, the volunteers have been doing to try to shape, you know, Congress's work or anything else that that people should be aware of that they can, um, can do at this point? Yeah, let me mention two things. One is, you know, even though, um, you know, that kind of amplifying these important issues in local media still is critical. Um, And uh, it is a great way to remind policymakers that folks care about these issues and are paying attention. So that has always been a big focus of 
um, results advocates across the country who often generate more than 500 media pieces getting published every year. Um, so we have information um, on our website about why media is important and kind of what's happening, how to um, raise concerns that um, you care about in the media. Um, we have that at results.org. We have a whole coronavirus um, section of our website that has a lot of resources that I think will be helpful for people right now. And then the other piece is, you know, even though folks are physically distancing from each other, I think a lot of people are looking for ways that they can get involved. I know that um, right. we've seen an uptick in the number of folks um, kind of signing up to learn more about how to get involved with advocacy with results. Um, so uh, I think, you know, just kind of spreading the word, sharing opportunities, um, to get engaged. I love that you always do these, these radio shows, Mary, because I think that's an important piece oh. of that. Um, so I think just getting involved with causes you care about and doing so in a way that you're taking effective actions, like talking directly to policymakers, building relationships with their staff, um, kind of getting specific media pieces that will um, kind of push this, push your agenda forward in local media. That, those kinds of actions will make a big difference mm -hmm. um, right now in particular, but we know from 40 years of results that they have um, been making a difference in shaping and helping build political will um, on these issues. Mm -hmm. And I think another thing we've talked about before is, you know, sometimes people say, well, I'm going to call their office, but it's just me. So, you know, they probably won't pay attention. But I know we found out in the past that even if you have a few friends, relatives, or people you know that are interested in the same issues you are, if you could, can get five to ten people calling that same office that day or the day after, or try to get, get a few people together, um, we know that if they get, say, ten letters on an issue, they will definitely talk with their boss about you know, their feeling about it and if if they want to uh, back that um, request. So, and I also, if you're since you're calling attention to stuff on the website, you know, we've got this great article um, that Alexa wrote on keeping Americans housed during COVID-19. And let's see, access to that would be on the website, right, Meredith? Yes, if you click on the blog link, it's one of the top blog pieces. The blog link, yeah. recent, how recently it was published and how great of a resource it is. It's a top blog piece. Yeah. That was published April 23rd. And Alexa, that's an excellent article. Thank you for doing that. Um, Thank we you. We appreciate your help. And we appreciate both of you. And um, I know since we won't be going to Washington, D.C. in person, that we're going to have a great conference online. You can find more about that uh, on results.org also. Um, so is there anything else? Uh, you know, I think before we go, the, the other thing I wanted to say was that uh, we want to send love and prayers to all the healthcare workers and thank them for all the, that they're doing. Healthcare workers and any other essential people that have to uh, be out on their job when a lot of people are feeling safe in their home. So, um there's that. And um, uh, Alexa, can you think of anything else you'd like to finish with before we go? Um, I don't think so. Okay. Mention, well, um, I really appreciate I do urge, Mary, your, uh, if you have some younger um, listeners who are a kind of 
interested in advocacy, interested in these kinds of issues, I would mention that the um, the fellowship through the Congressional Hunger Center is a great opportunity to um, oh, yes. for folks who are looking for um, for opportunities to kind of dive in on these issues and develop leadership skills. Look at the way that racial equity and hunger and poverty issues are interconnected. So that the next cohort will be starting. Um, this summer, and, those, and um, but and, uh, if you go to hungercenter.org, I think you can find details about the, the fellowship that Alexa participates in. And if you go to results.org slash fellowship, um, you can see um, information and an application for results part-time advocacy fellowship for young leaders um, uh, ages 20 to 30. Um, so um, mm-hmm. folks who are also interested in kind of shorter, like kind of diving in, building those skills, um, great chances to build kind of the next generation of diverse, strong leaders um, uh, who are engaged on hunger and poverty issues through those two opportunities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, like I said at the beginning of the program, I think results is one of the best ways that I've found that you yourself, just you, can make a difference in calls and emails and, and, uh, actually talking about results to your friends and what we're doing. And, you know, there's so much to be proud of. Results is celebrating its 40th anniversary um, now. And um, so we're going to have a lot of great speakers and things going on uh, online for the results conference. Um, So check that out also. And I think, Meredith, was there anything you wanted to finish up with? Oh, just thank you, Mary, and all the results advocates across the country. You and you all inspire us, and you're making such a big difference in some really challenging times. Well, thanks for that, and I think you know it's going going the other way too. Uh, we would not be as effective if we didn't have people like you and in the domestic area, and Ken Patterson, and Lisa Marshall, and Jocelyn, other other people that are working with us. Um, and if I forgot someone, I'm sorry, but. Um, uh, we get so much help from you, and we can always ask a question, and we get help to know, you know, what different uh, Congress people need to know when we go and meet with them. And, you know, it's just such an effective organization, and you can feel so much pride and joy, really, when you find out that, uh, you know, the office has called you back and said, yes, they're going to sign on this, this letter, or they're going to, you know, help you with this or that, whatever your your um issues are. So we appreciate all of you and we know what a great organization result is. And if anyone is interested in, in helping people who need a help who need a hand up and have no voice right now, um, please go to results.org and see what you might be able to do for people that have no voice. And believe me, you're effective. You may think, oh I don't know enough, but you know way more than the people that you're calling on in on Congress and, and um it's really a great feeling. So thanks again, Meredith, and thanks, Alexa, for what you're doing, and uh, we appreciate you, and have a great day. Stay safe, and I will talk with people again next month. So you guys take care, and thanks again. Great. Thank, Thank you, Mary. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.